0: you would, look in your Bibles to the book of Luke to chapter 15. Luke and in chapter 15, and I want to read verses 1 through verse 7. Our subject is, This man receiveth sinners. This man receiveth sinners. Luke 15 and in verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he findeth? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, More than over ninety and nine just persons Which need no repentance Either what woman having ten pieces of silver If she lose one piece Doth not light a candle and sweep the house And seek diligently till she find it And when she hath found it She calleth her friends and her neighbors together Saying rejoice with me For I have found the peace which I had lost. I'm going to read just a little bit more. Likewise I say unto you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he would fain have filled his belly with the hus that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be, to be merry. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, These many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I had originally just intended to read the first seven verses, but I went ahead and read all of this. And I'll mention that what you have in Luke 15 is one complete parable, but there are three separate parts of the one parable. If we do not understand that, we miss much of the teaching of Jesus Christ. In verses 3 through verse 7, you have the parable of the lost sheep or the teaching of the lost sheep. That's the first part of this parable. Then in verses 8 through verse 10, you have that portion concerning the lost piece of silver. And then in verses 11 through verse 32, you have the portion of the parable that deals with the lost son. But Jesus gives one parable, and within the parable there are these three parts. Our subject is not really the parable, but the words of the enemies of Christ just before he gave the parable. And our message comes from verse 2. In these words, This man receiveth sinners. And throughout the one parable, Jesus emphasizes this one fact. Before I even deal with those words, I want to first point out something uh, in verse 1. And I think it's important. I notice it throughout the scriptures. If you notice in verse 1, you have the word all. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. I mentioned this and I try to on several occasions. Because there are so many people that get all hung up on this word all. And it's found throughout the scriptures in many places. But many, when they see it, they view it as if it means all without exception, no matter what the context may be. Hold your place here, if you would, and look in the book of 1 Timothy the book of 1 Timothy and in chapter 2, and here I'm going to read verse 3 and verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, now read verse 3 and verse 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. Now keep that phrase in verse 4 in mind. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. If you would, go from there to the book of Second Peter and in chapter 3. In Second Peter and in chapter 3, and here I'll read verse 9. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Both of these scriptures, and certainly there are others, are used by some to promote their idea of Of a universal redemption. And they use that in denial of the biblical doctrine of election. They take these verses such as we just read. And the word all is found in them. And they say there is our proof. It is the will of God for every individual to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And their argument sounds good to those that are not grounded in the Word of God, those who know nothing about the sovereignty of God, to those who are just simply unlearned in the Scripture. But any who are grounded in the Word of God, familiar with the very being and nature of God, they know beyond any doubt that the will of God will always be accomplished. Whatever it is, it will always be done. I'm going to read two verses. First of all, in Isaiah chapter 46. And I'm going to read verse 9 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Here the prophet did write, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Stated twice in this one verse, he says, I am God. If people could just learn that one simple fact, It would change their beliefs in many different areas. I am God. I am God. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, what did he say? My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasures. Again, I'll state, whatever the will of God is, it will be done. I'm going to go from there to the book of Job. And I've mentioned several times over the years, this is one of my favorite verses concerning God. In Job chapter 23 and in verse 13 very simple statement about God that many have not learned. Job 23 and in verse 13. But he is in one mind and who can turn him and what his soul desireth even that he he doeth. You can be very sure if it is the desire of God to save every individual sinner, that is exactly what he will do. Whatever his soul desires is what he does. I'm going back to our our text in Luke chapter 15, and I want you to notice in verse one. It says. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Well, when we read this, are we to believe that every individual publican in the land of Israel came together that day to hear him? Are we to believe that all the sinners, every individual sinner in the world came together that day to hear Him? It says, all the publicans and sinners. The word all is used in many different places, the the ones I've already read to you, does not mean all without exception. It means all without exception distinction, without distinction of culture, race, social standing, or any such thing as, as that. Certainly when we read here about all the publicans and sinners came to do nigh there to hear him, it does not mean all of them without any exception. People need to understand that. Uh, You back up in Luke in chapter 2. I'm going to mention one other place here. In Luke and in chapter 2. And in verse 1. Luke 2 and in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All the world. Is this really the decree went out for every individual on the face of the earth to be taxed? Or was it all that were under the dominion of the government of Rome? The Roman world. How do we understand that? If you look back to Luke in chapter chapter. 15 and in verse 1. This large crowd of publicans and sinners coming to hear Jesus, it it caused the Pharisees and the scribes much concern. Notice what it says. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They placed this accusation, this charge, against Jesus Christ. When this crowd and this, these publicans and sinners came to hear Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees murmured. It means they had a complaint. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. When you read in, in context like this, when the enemies of Christ use these two words, this man is always in a derogatory manner. This man, as if they're looking down upon him, as if he is unworthy of even their notice. This man, this man, This lowly man from Galilee. This man who is viewed as the carpenter's son. This man who comes from Nazareth where they believe nothing good can come out of Nazareth. This man. This man who claimed to be the Christ. This man. You could just try to picture them uh, indicating Jesus in his lowly estate. This man claimed to be the Son of God. This man claimed to do the works of God. This man. It seems as if in their estimation that Jesus had proven unto them that he was not of God and that he certainly was not the promised Messiah because this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. How could he be the promised Messiah? How could he be of God? If he associates with sinners and eats with them. But unlike many of their, their lies and deceits concerning Jesus, this accusation in verse 2 is absolutely true and we ought to be thankful that it is. This man receiveth sinners. They did not know it but they were proclaiming some of the greatest news the world has ever heard. They were proclaiming truth. Even as they would later at Golgotha as he was hanging up on the tree and and they said This man saved others, but himself he cannot save. What a true statement. They made it as an accusation, again a derogatory remark about him. But he did save others. And in doing so, he could not spare himself. He could not save himself. He came into this world to suffer and die for the sins of his people. He could not save himself. Question, if we look at the first part of Luke chapter 15. Why is it that Jesus receiving sinners and eating with them would cause the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all of these to murmur against Jesus? What is it that would upset them about that? What was the cause of They're being upset with Jesus over this matter. Certainly it was their self-righteous bigotry. They thought themselves on a higher elevation more righteous than others and they, they viewed everyone else as unfit for the kingdom of God. You remember that Pharisee that stood in self-righteousness and prayed, Father of God, I'm glad I'm not like other men. Thought he was elevated far above others. Certainly this was because of the blindness and the hardness of their heart. They had no regard or care for anyone else. They just really did not care about publicans and sinners. But there's another reason. Another reason that I want to point out. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews and in chapter 10. Hebrews and in chapter 10. And I'm going to read verse 19 through verse 22. Hebrews and in chapter 10 verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And a lot in this. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed in pure water. I can't cover all of that. But I do want to point this out. In verse 19. Having therefore brethren boldness. To enter into the holiest. By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. By a new and living way. Verse 22. Keep this in mind. Let us draw near with a true heart. In this new and living way that we have through the blood of Christ as is mentioned in verse 19. We have boldness. We have liberty. We have freedom in verse 19 to enter into the holiest. Let, let's let that sink in for a moment. This new and living way. Boldness, freedom, liberty to enter into the the holies. Under the old covenant. There was always that matter of distance. Between God and man. It was always a distance. I want to go back to Exodus. And just point out a couple of things. Exodus and in chapter 3. Exodus and in chapter 3. Want you to remember Moses at the burning bush, Exodus in chapter three, in verse five, God told Moses there at the bush, "Draw not nigh hither." There's that matter of distance. Draw not nigh hither. Look in Exodus in chapter 19. In Exodus in chapter 19. And in verse 12 through verse, in verse 13. Exodus 19, verse 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it, whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Notice the Lord said to Moses, I want you to set up a boundary. Where the people cannot approach Sinai. Where God was going to be. You might remember both in the tabernacle. And in the temple. There was always that matter of distance. Always under the old covenant. There were very few. Who were allowed in the outer court. Only priests were allowed into the inner court. Only the high priest was, enter, was able to enter into the holy place, the holiest. We read of the holiest in Hebrews, remember. Only the high priest could enter in there, there and only once a year, and that with blood. There was a thick veil, a large thick veil, which separated The presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God. From the people. That veil separated. But we are told in the book of John. That grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew and in chapter 27. Keep in mind. That thick veil that separated God from the people. His presence from the people. They were not allowed in. They were not allowed in. In Matthew in chapter 27, notice if you would in verse 50. Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, Yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The separation was over. Separation was over. By the effectual work of Jesus Christ, the great atonement that He made through shedding his blood. When he said it is finished. Something very miraculous happened in the temple. That thick veil or curtain. Just began to rip from top to the bottom. An act of God. The way into the holiest had been made wide open. Now. Instead of as it was under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, come not hither. Don't get close. Now there is a new and living way. Now it is come unto me. What a great difference. The new and living way. We have access. We have boldness as we read in Hebrews. Freedom and liberty to enter into the holiest. The new covenant through Christ's effectual work, it is come unto me. In our text in Luke chapter 15 and in verse 2, no greater words could ever be said than this man receiveth sinners. He does not put them at a distance. He invites them. He encourages them. Come unto me. To me. The nearness. The nearness. I like the words of that hymn writer. Christ receiveth sinful men. He receives them. You remember the wording. And I'm going to read it. In in John chapter 6. And in verse 37. In John chapter 6. And in verse 37. It has two great parts. The first, Oh, that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And then we have that latter part. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There has never been a sinner who has come to the Lord Jesus Christ who was not received by the Lord Jesus Christ. This man does not cast or turn away sinners. He receives sinners. And He receives sinners, not that they may remain sinners, but He transforms all who come unto Him into saints. He receives sinners. He receives sinners. I'm going to go to Revelation in chapter 22, and I'm going to close by reading this and just mentioning something. In Revelation and in chapter 22, verse 17. Revelation 22 and verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is athirst Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. One of the greatest statements you'll ever read. Something we must never, never forget. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. and I'll give you rest. Come, come unto me. The only stipulation or requirement that I find in the Scripture for one coming to Christ, the one requirement, you must be a sinner. He receives sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And as we read here in Revelation 22 and in verse 17, every sinner who has a will to come to Christ can be assured and guaranteed he will receive them. Him, Those that come to him, he'll never cast out or turn away. This man receiveth sinners.